Hi, nonprofiteers. Welcome to Nonprofit Biz Talk with your host, Tracy B. Allen, nonprofit strategist. Nonprofit Biz Talk is about giving you the knowledge, skills, strategies, and concepts to manage, build, and grow a nonprofit organization that will positively impact the community you serve. My name is Jamie Campbell. I'm a CPA and I'm the Chief Financial Officer of Tier 1 Services. We provide outsourced year-round CFOs and bookkeeping services to nonprofits and other mission-driven organizations across the U.S. Okay, great. Awesome. So today, Jamie's here to talk to us about her area of expertise, which is nonprofit bookkeeping, you know, financing, you know, which is a great, important part of running a nonprofit organization. And unfortunately, so many nonprofit leaders, and I'm really speaking to the ED slash founders of the nonprofit organization, that is not their area of expertise. And for whatever reason, they do not want to invest the money that they need to in getting a certified CPA or someone who is very familiar with nonprofit bookkeeping to come in and handle their books. So Jamie's going to tell us why it's important, <laughs> what can happen if your um, books are not together and all of that good stuff. <laughs> so go ahead, Jamie. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, Tracy. And jump in anytime that, uh, that you have an opinion or knowledge uh, whether you agree with me or disagree, <laughs> absolutely jump in anytime. Well, um, I'm actually going to start with the the last thing that you mentioned. So that's so compelling to me and a lot of others as well. Um, what can go wrong if you don't have that kind of expertise? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to tell you um, a story that really grieves my heart. Okay. That is, there is um, an organization doing incredible, incredible good in their local community. And although they had just one um, principal grant, it was a tiny organization. Um, most of, a good percentage of that grant was stolen. And that is because there was no oversight over the money. Wow. And you have this amazing community of people out to transform the quality of their lives in a particular way. And about 50% of the money that was supposed to make that happen in 2016 or 2017 it just it it never materialized wow yeah and so I'm going to start off by saying it doesn't matter how large or small the organization and it also doesn't matter um that someone is doing the books it matters that someone is doing the books and someone has oversight and that's you the executive director or the founder has oversight so just because um, someone is doing the books doesn't mean everything is okay. Right. It means someone's doing the clerical work. Someone's doing something for you to look at and say, yes, I can see that our money is going towards this intended purpose. Yes, I can see in, that in reality, we're stewarding our funds as planned. And that is one of the principal reasons to not only have someone, but to have oversight. Okay. Over so yeah. what I'm basically hearing you say is that 
like you said, it's not just okay to hire a CPA or a certified bookkeeper, but the ED, the person who's in charge of running the day-to-day operations of the organization, needs to have some basic understanding of nonprofit finance so that when the reports are sent to them, they know what they're looking at. <laughs> oh, Tracy, that's the perfect way of saying it. Okay. EDs should not be learning debits and credits. They shouldn't be obtaining a CPA license just to run a nonprofit. Right. I mean, if you want to get one, you're not going to hear me say it's a bad thing. Right. It's going to keep you from, from really making mission. There's a different skill set altogether for someone in an executive role, a leadership role, an oversight role, and you said it. It's about knowing what reports to pull and how to interpret them one, for security, mm-hmm. and not because anybody's paranoid or anybody doesn't trust anybody, right. but that's what financially healthy organizations do. And two, for, for insight, what's working? What's not working? How much do we have left on this grant? Are we leaving money on the table? Uh-oh, are we in danger of overspending? Right. So that um, scenario that you gave us that... Um about the nonprofit organization who got half of their grant monies like up and magically disappeared. Did they not have a grant manager? They did not have a grant manager. Mm-hmm. They had a visionary, visionary executive director. Most of them um, some amazing, Yes, right? <laughs> some amazing uh, support staff, people on the ground, making the programs happen. And one person alone mm-hmm. handling anything with a dollar sign in front of it. That's so sad. That is so, so and, sad. And getting committed board. Wow. So the board members weren't looking at the books? They weren't looking at the right reports, and they weren't looking at them frequently enough. And again, that's, that's the second um, caveat, based on what you're saying, is not only does the ED need to be educated on how to interpret reports and what reports they should be looking at, but the board the governing body of the nonprofit organization as well. So they need to be trained on what to do and what to look for and how to interpret what they're looking at. Yeah. Well said. And the context of this training is so important, Tracy, because people go into nonprofit more often than not to make the world a better place in a particular way. And we don't want to go into that with this context of, but we don't trust our colleagues. Trust is not an internal control. And internal controls are policies and procedures that help protect organizational assets and help to make sure that our financial statements actually reflect reflect the reality of what's going on in the organization. Mm -hmm. I don't want to open a balance sheet and see, wow, we have $150,000, but actually we don't. Right. So, you know, internal controls, an example of an internal control is, The executive director reviews the bank statement every month and looks for two things. One, does the ending balance match the actual bank statement? Okay. And two, are there any old outstanding transactions? I mean, old, like six months old, a year old, five years old, Mm -hmm. that keeps showing up? that's That's a quick check. And a third related quick check is glance over the bank statement and see if there's anything that doesn't seem quite right. Okay. Including... Um, including digital copies of the canceled checks. Is there anything in there 
that comes with with most bank statements for most right. banks these days. Yes. It's in there that doesn't look quite right. For most nonprofits, if that review takes more than five minutes, I'll eat my hat. <laughs> and my hats are not made out of chocolate, so I have not done a lot of hat eating. Okay. <laughs> All right. And this is, is this something that you would go into a nonprofit organization and educate them on? Like what to look for? You sit with the board, you sit, sit with the executive director and you tell them what they should be looking for and how to. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And the key is to make it a beautiful and empowering context, mm-hmm. not a disempowered one. You know, you don't, you don't engage in these procedures because you distrust or because you have a, a distrust of someone. You do that because you're dedicated to the cause. Right. And you want to make sure that no money is under sewered or over sewered and it's due diligence and making sure that things in the plan are actually coming to pass. Right. And not only and, that, it's a matter of compliance. You have mm-hmm. an answer not only to the board, um, to the donors, um, to the people who you say you're going to serve, but you also have to answer to your state. And the federal government. And Uncle Sam yes, does not yes. play. <laughs> so we don't want that to be yes. an issue. <laughs> so That's tell, right. I think this is a great segue. So we're talking about who you have to answer to. And I just named a few. If you have any that you want to, that I left out, please tell me what they are. Um, but those are the ones that I know because um, CPA, bookkeeping, not my forte, not even for myself. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going to leave, you know, like the real nitty gritty up to Jamie. I just know the overview, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah. let's talk about like state compliance and federal compliance of the nonprofit sure. organization. When it so comes you hit the big ones. Mm-hmm. You definitely hit the big ones and I'll include some others as well. And we'll, we'll do a couple of nuances of these. So the IRS, the big one, right? I mean, it doesn't get bigger than that. However, there are a couple of different taxes and compliance areas to be on the lookout for in order to avoid financial penalties, and even worse, in order to avoid the lost time having to deal with any repercussions, any notices or audits that you have to deal with, if it's an unfavorable situation, that is lost time. You can always get money back. I'm not saying it's easy, but you can always get money back. You can never get back time. And that is my chief pressure when it comes to why compliance, because we are only on this earth for so many seconds. And the fewer number of seconds I can spend with the IRS, the better, to get my drift. Absolutely, absolutely. So the main areas of compliance at the national level include, first of all, your nonprofit status, which can be lost if the annual 990 or 990PF or other type of tax return isn't filed. The status can be lost, and if that status is lost, it's a huge breach of trust among donors. It could be, um, you could be looking at a loss of funding, some or all funding with the loss of that nonprofit status. So that's the big thing, and the big thing in that is file your annual information return, your 990s or related forms. A second um, concern with the IRS is income tax. This may come as a surprise to somebody in the nonprofit world because what do you mean income tax? The whole point is to not 
have income be taxed. Right. You don't want to be in the UBIT situation. <laughs> exactly. You read my mind. Well, and, and I'm glad you said that because I would say that it's not that you don't want to be in the UBIT situation, and that's unrelated business income tax. That's the um, acronym. It's not that you don't want to be in one. It's that if you're in it, be in it on purpose. <laughs> not by accident because you didn't know what you were doing. Right. Yes. <laughs> Got you. Yes. So, for example, if the UBIT is 21% mm-hmm. and you're getting donated goods and you want to sell those goods to bring in some extra money for the nonprofit and you're going to bring in $500,000 with those goods, who cares about the 21%? It feels painful. Oh, we have to give up a hundred, hundred thousand dollars plus. Yeah. You're still keeping four hundred grand. Yes. Sell the goods. <laughs> Make profit. You know, it's fine. So you pay tax on it. That's four hundred grand that you have to serve who you dare to serve. And, and again, as you said, that's where a CPA comes in for someone to give yeah. you that hard talk. Because if you, like I like to say, if you don't know, you don't know what you don't know. And it's okay Mm -hmm. to know, like I know, I don't know the ins and outs of bookkeeping and um, nonprofit finance. I, like I said, as a consultant, I know the basics. I know I can give you a general overview of what you should be looking for, what you need to be compliant and all of that stuff. But when it gets deep into it, I always tell my clients, you need to hire a CPA. You should not be operating without a CPA. <laughs> not. There is too, ma- um, t- too many loopholes to fall through <laughs> that can cause you to yeah. lose your status. You need a CPA. That's true. Mm-hmm. And to that end, and, and I'll get back into the tax thing in a second, but I'll, I'll also add that, you know, I've spent 15 years in public accounting serving organizations in a huge array of industries which is so awesome and fun, yes. especially when you can cross-pollinate and be like, hey, Ms. Nonprofit, did you know that over in construction, they're doing this cool technique, which gives them this awesome insight, and hey, we can do that for you too. I love that. That being said, I believe that it's important for the nonprofit um, sector more than almost any other sector I can think of to find a CPA and a bookkeeper who have a specialized expertise in nonprofit. Okay. I agree. 100% agree. Because the forms are different. The language is different. The processes are different. And 70% of it, sure, it's the same as any other industry. You know what? Debits go go on the left and credits go on the right. right. (laughs) (laughs) But it's the same thing that that we say as nonprofit consultants. We see a lot of um, for-profit business coaches trying to give nonprofit organizations do's and don'ts and tell them what they can and cannot do and how they can and cannot start a nonprofit organization. And yes, nonprofits are businesses and businesses are businesses. But like you said, yes, things go on the left and things go on the right, but they're different things for different reasons. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Remembering to say director of finance instead of CFO. Exactly. (laughs) Or not calling yourself as the ED, the CEO of the nonprofit organization. That really, that annoys me. (laughs) Yeah. Got that. So um, I'm glad that we talked about that, Tracy. That's a really important point. So to that end, um, some other tax issues or IRS issues to be aware of. Um, the a nonprofit still needs to issue um, a 1099 to independent contractors who meet the criteria. 
And if that is not done, the end of the not the sorry the nonprofit can still be on the hook for 28% of what is paid out if the proper paperwork isn't done. So if you pay a contractor $10,000 for services and you did not collect the W-9 um, at the inception of those uh, of those services, I mean, at any point, but it's better to collect the W-9 before any money is paid and before services are provided. Right. But if you don't have a W-9, and if, if the IRS doesn't audit, even of the contractor, and, and let's say the contractor didn't pay tax uh-huh. and let on that $10,000 of income, and let's say that the IRS can't collect from that contractor, the IRS is legally allowed to come after the nonprofit wow. for that what's called backup withholding of 28%. And the nonprofit can say, um, well, we paid out $10,000. That was the agreed upon fee. We're not going to give you 28%. If there's no Form W-9 on hand, the auditor is legally allowed to say, yeah, but you didn't have a W-9. You were obligated to withhold 28%, which is $2,800 on 10 grand, and send it into us, the IRS. Uh-huh. Just because you paid it all out, that's not our problem. And you have to pay, you paid out the 10 grand to the independent contractor, you still have to pay us $2,800. But if the, nine, if the nonprofit has a W-9 on hand, they can say, look, we got the social security number or the tax ID. We got the address. We have a signature. Mm-hmm. This is not our problem. Got you. A piece of paper can save thousands of dollars. I see. <laughs> and of course, the 1099 has to be issued in the, in the first place. So that's that's a compliance issue that nonprofits um, are definitely not exempt from, mm-hmm. as long as they have independent contractors. And see, I didn't know that. So I'm sure a lot of nonprofit um, leaders don't know this as well. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and it's this is a it's never too late to learn, right? Right, exactly. I, always, I didn't pop into this world knowing everything, but I spent my time on Earth learning certain things mm-hmm. and not of certain others. So, as the story goes, here in heaven we feed each other. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes. Um, another issue uh, to discuss is sales tax mm-hmm. that uh, if a if a nonprofit sells goods and if those sales are subject to sales tax you need to get on on the up and up with that it's yes. it's possible that um, in certain situations sales tax needs to be collected and remitted that's to the state not to the IRS mm-hmm. but if that's an issue then uh, then that has to be handled and it has to be handled timely if there's any exemption, then there may be some paperwork that's required so the nonprofit doesn't have to collect um, and remit sales tax to the state. Um, by state. That, Every state has yeah, yeah. Okay, because I know that's, yeah, that's a great area for a lot of leaders. They always ask that question, like, do I have to collect sales tax if I'm selling like T-shirts or any type of paraphernalia that deals with um, the nonprofit itself? And I'm like, every state has different rules. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. Yeah, and I know someone, by the way, who is the expert on state and local tax issues. He's like CPA's CPA. Really? <laughs> narrow area of focus is sales tax. So if any listener or viewer has any particular questions, feel free to reach out, and, and I'd be happy to introduce you to this expert and, uh, and see what kind of insights that he can offer. Mm-hmm. Um, another area is payroll taxes, and this is back up 
at the federal level mm -hmm. um, with the IRS, a nonprofit is not exempt from paying payroll taxes if you pay out payroll. Yep. And it is not really up for debate. Like you can't just choose, like given how you're gonna, how the nonprofit is gonna work with somebody, you can't decide, well, let's make this person an employee or let's make this person a contractor. The IRS has a 20 point checklist. some services that they can um, outsource that to like what would it cost them like just a general overview for a small nonprofit well, of like say two three employees um it, it, it's it's hard to say I'll give a range yeah. but it's, it's really hard to say because in part it depends on if you're using technology or a live service okay so if you're using a technology like QuickBooks Online or Intuit Online Payroll or Gusto versus a human outsourced, well, obviously there are humans yes. on the back end of the technology, but I mean, like a human um, outsourced payroll provider, like a big one like Paychex or ADP or a local one, um, the costs can range from, I mean, I want to give you some numbers, but this is really rough because it yeah. depends on the situation. They can range from, I don't know, $25 to $200 a month. Okay. Yeah, just the um, range for people to kind of get an idea of what they could possibly be paying. Yeah, that's all. Yeah, $100 is probably high for two to, um, for two to three employees. Mm -hmm. But I, I, gave a, I gave a pretty wide range. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, you definitely don't want to be sitting there calculating your quarterly 941 payroll tax returns yourself, plus the state returns. Somehow that doesn't make mission. No, it does not. <laughs> and a visionary, you know, like what could you be doing in those hours right. of stopping? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I've met um, nonprofit leaders who of small nonprofits, like I said, two to three, maybe five employees, and they're not state compliant or federal compliant when it comes to their payroll. They have yeah. people that have regular hours. They have to be in there at eight and they're working on till five and they're trying to pay them as a 1099 employee. And I'm like, that's not a 1099 employee. <laughs> you know, no. in no way is that a 1099 employee. They have a regular schedule. They have to be here mm -hmm. every day between a certain time, five days mm -hmm. a week. That is an employee that needs to be paid benefits and or... That you know, have their, you know, um, unemployment paid, so, that type of stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, clearly the employer is exercising control. And if, if a nonprofit, nobody's saying that work has to happen that way, but mm -hmm. if it does, you have to go through payroll and issue a W-2. Right. If you really want 99 contractors, you have to be willing to give up 
a certain measure of control uh-huh. over how the work is done yes. and really focus on the end result. <laughs> you know, get to fundraising flyers by next Friday. Right. This is what we're doing. Fine. And if, if that's all you say and they're using their own materials, they work wherever they want, whenever they want, and they get you a quality person by next Friday, fine. Sounds like an independent contractor relationship right. to me. <laughs> substantiated and don't provide materials and don't do mileage reimbursement don't do all the other things that employers do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i agree yeah okay um state? Any, yeah um compliance at the state level so you have the state registration mm-hmm. um which may or may not be uh, have a heavy financial component but is in certain, I mean, depending on the state, can just be more, more like an information, like, hey, we still exist, all right, here's money. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course, other states make it much more interesting right. than others. And when I say interesting, I mean horribly and needlessly complex. Um, but um, so you have state sales tax, uh, payroll taxes have a state component as well in um and although even if you're in a state where there's no personal income tax, mm-hmm. um, you still have to pay payroll taxes if you have employees. Okay. Um, any other state? I think that's no, about no. it that I know of too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the big thing that a lot of nonprofit leaders tend to quiver over when they hear about it. Audits. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, audits make people quiver (laughs) yeah i want to tell you um this uh, the most amazing thing happened to me about a year ago one of the um the executive director for one of my nonprofit clients kind of blinked in the middle of a meeting one day and she said my gosh i forgot we were being audited wow how do you forget that possible and it's not because anything was poorly handled or not handled because everything was perfectly handled good and okay I realized that could come across as like egotistical I was really just thinking about her state of mind Uh and I'm I'm really proud of my team but um I want to share with everyone that that experience of an audit is possible Mm -hmm. and what makes it I mean what makes it possible is to have amazing people engaged in consistent and correct processes made easier with technology that connects us and does things that don't require a human being. Technology that does things that don't require what we human beings are uniquely qualified to do, which is to exercise judgment Mm -hmm. and to create connections between other humans. Or if you want to include animals, you know, in that, depending on your nonprofit or your life outlook, right. you know, to create connections among living beings and to exercise judgment. Everything else these days can really be put to technology. I hate to see, um, I hate to see like someone who loves bookkeeping being paid minimum wage to do clerical work. Uh-huh. I say, you know, bookkeeping at that level is automated these days. All you have to do is set it up. And let's train up that bookkeeper to make more of a powerful difference in the organization by increasing that bookkeeper's skill set to, let's say, interpret the results and exercise judgment 
over the results, monitor internal controls, okay. you know, do make a more profound difference in the organization. And that bookkeeper will earn more as well as in exchange for providing more value. For the rest, let technology do it. And this is where it all comes into play, Tracy, with an audit. With people who are on board with the processes and processes including consistent real-time bookkeeping, interpreting the results, um, sharing documents, what we, in accounting, we call it backup. Uh -huh. um, we'll call it source documents, like a copy of a bill. In most accounting systems, you can attach electronic copies of bills, invoices, pledge, um, like pledge cards. You can attach all kinds of documentation to any transaction in your accounting system. And if you're using a cloud-based system, you can give the auditor access to the same system. Nice. That means that the staff's precious time, which is permanently non-refundable, <laughs> does not have to be used by the auditor asking for documents. Exactly. You want documents? Come and get them yourself. Mm -hmm. You have access. The auditors love this. I used to be an auditor. Okay. The auditors love this <laughs> because they don't have to go through all these channels to get to what they need. All they have to do is log in. Right. And when you technology have these makes life easier. Yes. <laughs> technology is not some kind of intrinsic good. <laughs> it, when used in a certain way, it makes our lives easier. And so from an auditor's point of view, they're just going in and getting what they need. And when there are internal processes that say things like, let's make sure every transaction has backup and that it's rotated properly so the auditor doesn't break his neck trying to try to read it, or the executive director doing a spot check of transactions can quickly can click on the, the little button and see the PDF or the screenshot that's associated with that transaction and instantly see, oh, yes, this was recorded correctly. Okay. And it's things like this when they're done year-round uh -huh. that makes an audit not only like practically transparent to the nonprofit itself, but the auditor loves it because they can get their work done faster. And on top of it all, here's the cherry on top. Most auditors charge a flat fee, right? not hourly, which means by the structure of that fee, they're incentivized to do good work fast. I have actually negotiated discounts on the annual audit because everything was done. I mean, the books are kept up year-round. There's backup for every transaction. The auditor gets direct actor access to the system. They can they can grant a discount and still have it be have it meet their internal profit requirements for you know paying their people, reinvesting, and keeping the lights on. And, right. You know, investing in their audit, audit should be worked into the yearly budget. Because oh, of course. Basically, what you're saying is that every nonprofit organization should do a self audit on a yearly basis. You shouldn't have to wait for the state to uh, or the um, federal to come in and say, "Hey, we're going to audit your books," because maybe they saw a discrepancy on your 990 or um, not even your 990, your 1099, or um, they just are doing a random audit the organization itself should do a yearly audit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so, but I'm going to, I'm going to hear your language and play with it a little bit. Okay. And audit, 
just as I define it, uh-huh. involves a substantial payout to an independent CPA firm. Yes. If that is not required uh-huh. by the board or by the state or by a funder, uh-huh. in general, you I would not recommend okay. an gotcha. independent audit. However, uh-huh. what I would recommend is the more informal use of the word audit, and let's call it an evaluation. Okay. <laughs> I would recommend an evaluation by an independent third-party CPA gotcha. saying, hey, can you have a look at our books? You're not going to give an opinion. That's, a, that's an official audit word. You don't have to issue an opinion. You don't have to issue a report. Can you just make sure that our bookkeeping was correct? Right. That's what I was talking about. I just lumped it onto the whole umbrella of an audit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, audit is a trigger button for me. Like, it involves the whole thing with the official stuff. And, right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, talking about. Having someone independent come in and look over your books and just make sure, you know, things are kind of where they're supposed to be. <laughs> right. Right. That's exactly it. And I wouldn't wait to do that annually. Okay. I would do that monthly or quarterly oh, okay. and I would still have oversight from and that's not in place of oversight from the executive director mm-hmm. still look at the bank statements still look at the bank reconciliations still look at your financial reports compare them to this time last year compare them year over year month over month and say does this match the reality that I live every day okay. that one question to ask yourself does this match the reality that I live every day? If anything doesn't match, you inquire. Because if you're going to make decisions based on these reports, and I hope that you do, then you need to have some confidence that these reports are correct enough for you to make decisions. And I say correct enough because if it's off by a dollar, are you going to make a different decision? No. But if it's off by $10,000, you might make a different decision about right. something. Okay. How much to raise, how much to spend. Right. So, so basically, they need you're to saying that the reports out. need to be like a guide for how your nonprofit is going to move forward. Yes, exactly. And there's a substantial difference in the long-term survival. Sustainability. And the long-term <laughs> long-term impact of nonprofits whose leaders make decisions based on financial information and other information, of course, but who include financial information in their decision-making process versus leaders who don't have that available and who use the gut. Right. The good old gut. (laughs) Yeah. We call that management by gut and it Mm -hmm. does not use calm with love. Smiley faces. Yeah. 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 The gut for like the big vision. Mm-hmm. You know what? World could, in, in a particular way, the world could be like that. Yes. Go with your gut. Mm-hmm. When it comes to creating a plan for workability, mm-hmm. the numbers. The numbers. It's all about the numbers. I got it. <laughs> so, what are the, I don't know if there's three, but I would say, what are the top three? reports that the board and the ED need to look at closely every month. I know you talked about the bank statement 
and you mentioned another one, but I can't remember what it is. <laughs> but what, like, what are the top ones? <laughs> yeah. So for the board, um, I would say the budget versus actual okay. is probably the most important report to look at every month. And that is really an income statement, which has revenues at the top, expenses at the bottom, and the net, the, the quote-unquote bottom line, because it's the bottom. <laughs> it's the line on the bottom. Yeah. You know, that's where <laughs> so, and there's two columns in a budget versus actual. The budget, like what, what, what's the budget for this year? And then so far through the most recent month end, what's the actual? So, for example, if we have a budget of $100,000 of revenue, if we're six months through the year, then the actual should show $50,000 of revenue. If it shows $20,000 of revenue, we might have a concern. Oh, yeah. And that's a board concern. Uh -huh. Unless the, the big annual fundraising gala, or if you're in the South Gala, <laughs> is coming up in two months or in four months, and most of the revenue is supposed to come in at the end of the year. It's not supposed to be evenly spread out. Fine, but the board knows that. And that's what you do with a budget versus actual. If we're halfway through the year, but 75% of the way through the expense budget, okay, got that. Um, are we overspending? Or did we bring in additional grants to cover that additional spending? What's the situation? That's a board level question that would need to be answered. So the budget versus actual, definitely the, my favorite report and the favorite report of, of, um, of board. Other reports um, really differ from board to board. Some boards like to see like a pie graph of the funding sources. Mm -hmm. Let's say it, it all comes from individual donations. They want to see who the biggest donors are. And that's important and for many reasons. Um, mm. I mean, just knowing who your donors are, your like your major donors, what they're giving, how much they're giving, how many times per year, how long they've been given, is extremely important to growing the sustainability of your nonprofit organization. I was just doing a, um, a workshop on that, so it's like fresh in my head, you know, because I'm doing year end, and that mm. is something that you need to pull in order to. Um, you know, put your year-end campaign together. You need to know that information. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And that information can be summarized at the board level mm -hmm. in a pie graph. Mm -hmm. And what they can get from that is not only, you know, some of the, key, the names of some of the key players, but also they can see in a heartbeat, because a picture speaks a thousand words, um, of the thread, you know, they can do a, like a, you do a mental 80-20 or a mental Pareto analysis. Does all of our money come from two large donors? That's very risky. Yes. On the other hand, do we have 5 million people each donating a dollar? That's very time intensive for anyone involved in fundraising. Mm -hmm. There's a balance. There's a way to optimize that, mm -hmm. that you have enough superstars to give the fundraising team some turbo but you have enough diversity that if one superstar falls off That's for awesome. some reason, right. they does not fold. And you can look at that analysis in a pie graph when it comes to donor names. You can also look at that when it comes to what are our, our sources of funding? 
what percent comes from grants? What percent comes from individual donations? What percent comes from corporate sponsorships? Or, you know, you can look at the different um, sources of funding and say, is this an organization that's managing risk? Right. And that's what the board does. Mm -hmm. So those are a couple of other, um, couple of other ones. So you can also do a pie graph for expenses as well. Um, a couple of nonprofits that I work with have also requested not just a pie graph, but a column graph to see um, changes over time, changes over the month, both in revenue and a separate column graph, a stacked, a stacked column graph for expenses. And I do like including these graphs because, I mean, how long is the board going to spend on this? Right, exactly. Right? <laughs> Let them pour over the budget versus actual, fill that with numbers. Right. But the other stuff, you just have to look at it and say, oh my gosh, that's really risky. Mm -hmm. Or, oh, nice job managing risk in the organization. Good job, ED. Right. You know, um, if the board has a finance committee, then I would also recommend sharing the bank statement and bank reconciliation, which right. is the word you were looking for. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't present those to the board that's too detailed but the finance committee has some outside oversight and can support the ED and internal controls by looking over the bank statement and the bank reconciliation every month. Okay. And think nothing looks weird. You know, they're not going to have the same detailed knowledge that the ED will about which vendors were approved uh -huh. and which vendors, but they'll be able to see um, if certain things aren't quite right. Plus, if everybody knows that the finance committee is looking at them every month, mm -hmm. it dramatically decreases the chance of embezzlement. Yes. And um, I think last year in 2018, we are in 2018. Okay. <laughs> I've moved on to 2019, obviously. In 2017, there were so many reports of people, nonprofit leaders and board members, um, when I say leaders, I was talking about EDs. So leaders in general, board members and EDs, being arrested for embezzlement. It was high last year. And I thought it was so unfortunate because it goes back to this exact um, discussion where we don't have that oversight. That organization didn't have the oversight necessary to prevent that from happening. Someone or some people dropped the ball on that. And it puts wow. a stain on your nonprofit organization when you are wrapped up in an embezzlement situation because then donors start re um, retracting because they're not sure what's going to happen to their monies when they donate to your organization. They want to do when donors donate to your organization, they're donating because they want the money to go to a particular program, a particular service, mm -hmm. or to help with overhead, whatever it is, that is what they want their monies to be um, used for, not to line someone else's pocket. So it makes it hard to rebuild that trust, <laughs> you know? This money isn't going to, to the boss's Ferrari fund. Right, exactly, exactly. And I mean, there were some huge figures being embezzled, hundreds of thousands of dollars for people's weddings, for vacations, for homes, for, you know, like you said, Ferraris. I mean, like huge yeah. sums of money being embezzled yeah. from tons of nonprofits last year, which I thought is so, was so unfortunate. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's people, it's not just nonprofits, it's for-profit small oh, businesses yes, as well. <laughs> I mean, recently as, in the, in the past two years, I remember seeing 
um, a client set of books for the first time, there was a line item mm -hmm. on the income statement, an expense called embezzlement expense. And it was from a bookkeeper who sold $300,000 because there was no oversight. The bookkeeper had too much, too much responsibility, too much power. Wow. The fraud triangle was complete. There was, the fraud triangle is, um, there is a, an incentive or a pressure, a rationalization, and an opportunity. All three things have to be there in order for fraud to occur. And if there's oversight, there's no opportunity. And someone who has the incentive and a rationalization is going to go somewhere else. Uh -huh. <laughs> and going somewhere else, that's where the donor's funds go. They're still committed to the cause, and no nonprofit leader is the only one out there solving a problem. <laughs> there is always somebody else who is working on the same problem yes. because these are real and important problems that deserve to be solved. Yep, I totally and agree. That donor funds are going to go someplace else when that stains the brand, when embezzlement stains the brand. It's a much larger issue than just, you know, okay, great, money isn't being stolen anymore. Donor funds are not going to just magically come back when there's a breach of trust like that. I agree. So. I totally agree. So we're going to wrap up. So tell us, what is the top four tips that you want everyone to walk away from this podcast with? When it mm. comes to their oh, my gosh. Financing? <laughs> um, I'm going to start off with a big, big one, Tracy. Okay. That... If your nonprofit, if the financial health of your nonprofit is either suffering or not reaching its potential in order to make mission, mm -hmm. the first thing that I'm going to ask you to do, and you're no stranger to doing things that are hard, that's why I'm going to start with the biggest, hardest thing. I want you to look inside at your relationship with money. I want you to look inside at where that relationship with money was started, where that was created in your life. I want you to look at what decision you made about money when something happened a long time ago when you first learned about money and what money means. I want you to have a look at what you decided when you were five years old, when you were 12 years old, when you were 18 years old, what you decided about money. And I want you to take a look at how you're making those same decisions today. And the last thing I want you to consider inside that this first big tip, this big, big challenge is, is a decision made by an eight-year-old helping you make mission today? Can you leave that decision in the past and look at some other ways to relate to money and how it supports us in making a dream a reality. I love that. That is so deep. <laughs> I absolutely love, love that. Are the decisions that were made by an eight-year-old influencing your decision or your relationship with money today as an adult and a leader of a nonprofit organization? That's so deep. Jamie, that's deep. <laughs> My other three tips are going to seem like nothing compared to that. Okay. Um, I would say, um, I'll start it philosophically, but it's really a practical and specific tip. Let people do what people do best and 
push everything else to technology. Bookkeeping can it off. You don't know what you don't know. So let people yes. do what they know how to do best. Don't give jobs mm -hmm. to people who are not acquainted with that particular job. It makes the job harder. You're losing money, time, and resources. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it's work to get resources back, and we're never going to get time back. So let technology do what, it do what it can do. Automate as much as possible. Keep simple anything that doesn't directly help you make mission. Don't let it become too complicated. If you or someone on your staff is a person who seems to encounter complication wherever they go, guaranteed, they are a complication-making machine. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be simple. We do a simple procedure. We, we scan a bill. We attach it to the accounting system. We click to get it approved by the ED. And we're, that's it. We record it and it's done. Right? A simple process. No special situations, no buts, no exceptions. It's a simple process. Where you want to get creative is in how to serve those you're here to serve. So this, I guess, is, is two tips in one. Make sure that humans are out there doing what technology cannot do and push everything else to technology is my second tip. And my third tip is... Um, is be so clear about what, what should get customized and creative attention and what shouldn't. And I can tell you right now, accounting should not be creative. <laughs> it's a lot. But math in general is a scientific process and a logical process. It's what it is. One plus one will always be equal to, to two. <laughs> No That's need for creativity there. <laughs> Not even with the new math. Not even with the new math. <laughs> it still equals two. <laughs> okay. Right. Exactly. So keep simple, repeatable, and straightforward. And straightforward. And that is everything in finance and accounting. Okay. The first tip I would say is this. Don't let any information or processes reside in someone's head. You're part of a team now. And there has to be continuity to the team in order to make missions. And if there is turnover in the accounting department, whether it's a new bookkeeper or a new um, CPA or director of finance, processes need to be written kept updated in a way that's easy for everyone to manage. Okay. Don't make it a special complicated thing to do. Mm -hmm. Just right. It can even be on video. It can be checklist. It can be screencast, mm -hmm. but keep procedures up to date such that if, if something happens and you know what, something is going to happen. Going to and happen. here's why. <laughs> a nonprofit organization by its very design is immortal. Nobody on staff is immortal. Nope. <laughs> so for one reason or another, your staff will part ways with your nonprofit at some point. Okay. Make it easy for the next person to just keep on making missions, okay. whether it's by providing financial statements or doing fundraising. Mm -hmm. 
document how things are done and keep that documentation easy to learn for a new person with the appropriate skill sets mm -hmm. and always up to date to ensure continuity of making mission. Right. I'm a great proponent for, um, especially when I deal with my clients, I always tell them people in your organization should be cross-trained based on their skills because I could wake up good this morning and on my way to work, God forbid, I get in an accident. The work doesn't stop. Someone needs to be able to continue doing the work. And um, you made another great point that I, I like, and I tell my clients all the time as well, is to do video trainings. So if, when you have a new person come in or you want to cross train, all they have to do is pull out a video that has the screenshots, that has the step-by-step -step process, and they can go through it and train themselves how to do the actual job if somebody should happen to die on their way to work. I mean, it sounds morbid, but it does happen, you know? So I really love those four tips. Those are awesome, <laughs> especially tip number one, because um, I think a lot of people, not just nonprofit leaders, I think a lot of people in general still have an eight-year-old relationship with money. And yeah, so, okay, great. Jamie, why don't you tell my audience where they can find you if they want to get in contact with you, which I hope they do, so that you can make sure that their books are looking the way they're supposed to and they're in compliance. <laughs> my pleasure. Thank you, Tracy. My website is called, uh, my company is called Tier 1 Services, and you can get to my website at tier1services.net. If it's easier to remember, you can also get there at myfirstcfo.expert. It'll take you to the same site. You can also find, uh, find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash tier1services, T-I-E-R-O-N-E services. And uh, you can find us on YouTube. Actually, um, we have a YouTube channel, Tier 1 Services. We have, uh, as of the date of this recording, over 300 videos with uh, questions and answers. Oh. And a ton of them have to do with nonprofits because, and this is the final place where you can find me. Uh, you can find me every week, actually, on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock Eastern for 30 minutes uh, on my business page. I do a live um, broadcast called Ask a CFO, and anybody who shows up who asks me a question gets an answer. Nice, nice. And videos are recorded. They're broken up into individual questions and answers, and they're posted to our YouTube channel for reference. And I get questions uh, from many sectors, but definitely including nonprofit about compliance, fiscal sponsorship, how to which which accounting system is better, how to do the accounting for a thing, um, how to go paperless. Issues big and small come to me with questions, and I'm so happy to answer them. Oh, very good. Good, good, good. That's awesome. So you guys see that you have another source to get in contact with Jamie. You have a plethora of information that you can have access to for free on her YouTube channel. So I suggest that you go on over to her YouTube channel, subscribe and start watching so that you can get your financial situation of your nonprofit, you know, um, put together. And if you cannot do it yourself, because like I said, we don't know what we don't know. And the time, the energy, the finances that it will take for you to learn a new skill, it takes you about over a thousand hours to learn one new skill. You're better off investing in Jamie's company and let her do it. Cause she's had, she has more than a thousand hours of experience in this area. So she's very versed and well equipped 
to make sure that your nonprofit organization's financials are in check and compliant. (laughs) Thank you, Tracy. You are so welcome. All right, guys, that's it. We'll talk to you the next time. Bye-bye. Has fundraising become the F-bomb in your meetings? Does your team run for the hills at the mere mention of the word? Well, don't worry. I've got you covered with the year-end Fundraising Superheroes Bootcamp. If you want to take your board members, staff, and volunteers from running scared to the superheroes of revenue generation for the year-end and Giving Tuesday campaigns and beyond, then you need to click the link below and sign up for this program. Superheroes training starts August 1st. See you there. Okay, nonprofiteers, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. And remember that there's someone in your community counting on the services that your nonprofit organization offers, and it is your job to make sure that you get it right. Until next time. I'm Tracy V. Allen.